So, to start with just a couple texts that I think illustrate beautifully how important it is to realize when you're holding your Bible, you're holding a Jewish document. I want us to look first at Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at two of Jesus' sayings that just look horrible to us because we're not Jewish. We don't know our Jewish faith well enough. We don't know the Hebrew Bible well enough to even know what Jesus is saying. If you look at uh, Luke, excuse me, Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 57 and following, here's one of those hard sayings. And it's fun sometimes to watch Christians try to do something with this who know nothing about Jewish background. Once you know something about Jewish background, you know exactly what Jesus is saying here. Uh, but, but, you know, Jesus didn't do everything he did in the first century like we do in the 21st century. Now, I know we think the whole world's always had to act just like us. But things have changed over the last uh, 2,000 years. And here's one of those places we, we need to know that. Anyway, look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57. as a good example of how knowing something about the Hebrew faith helps you understand this Hebrew Messiah. Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, and Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, by the way, you don't even know what the Son of Man is unless you know the book of Daniel, but that's for another day. He calls himself Son of Man. That's his favorite title for himself, Son of Man. Uh, Son of Man, you need to know Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, to know what he means by Son of Man. Uh, but that's for another day. Anyway, he says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's talking about himself. Look at verse, look at verse 59, and here's where we think he's just being really rude. Because Jesus says to another, Follow me. But this other person says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And then look at Jesus' response, verse 60. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes when I hear Gentiles dealing with this, they, they just kind of get a sermon out of this about, well, your, your spiritual life is of utmost importance. Your focus on the kingdom of God is of utmost importance. That's all Jesus meant when he said, let the dead bury their dead. But look at this a moment. Here's Jesus. If your father just died and somebody said to you, don't, don't attend his funeral, don't worry about burying him, how would you react to that? Probably not well, which is the way you should react to that. So obviously Jesus is not saying what you think he's saying here for several reasons. Uh, this will even bring, come to bear on the next text. You remember the big ten, ten commandments? One of them's honoring your father and your mother. No Jewish Messiah is going to say, ignore one of those. Cease to honor your father and your mother. Don't even plan the funeral. Don't go to it. If, if you hear Jesus saying, ignore the Ten Commandments, there's a disconnect somewhere. So he's obviously not doing that. Um, you do know in Judaism, the family is more important than it is in Christianity, Right? Um, in Jude, and the reason we say that is in Judaism, most all of their holidays, most all of their festivals, Pesach, right now with Sukkot, almost all of their observance of their festivals occur where? In the home. In the home. Now, we in the Christian community, we make you come to church. 
and we, 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 we party out at church. But in the Jewish world, they don't do it that way. All of the Passover at home. Sukkot, you build your tabernacle at home and you, you eat your meals out in the backyard. Um, so we, we know, we know that Judaism is very, very family-oriented. Um, if you go to Israel, you'll see these Orthodox families. They have like 20 kids walking around. You know, I mean, they just procreate better than we do. Families are really important to the Jewish faith. So if you think you hear a Jewish Messiah saying, ignore one of the Ten Commandments about honoring your father and your mother. If you think you hear a Jewish Messiah saying, um, don't, don't be family-oriented, I would encourage you to maybe look a little more closely at the text. So, what's going on here when Jesus says to this person, this person says, and look at the context. These people are saying they want to follow Jesus, but they're offering excuses. So somehow what the person is offering Jesus has to be an excuse. Let me make sure you understand first century Jewish burial practices, which you do because you celebrate Easter. But you, you may not connect all the dots. If you go with me to Israel, and you can just Google this online, if you look up the word ossuary, O-S-S-U-A-R-Y, ossuary, that's a bone box. That's a bone box, which means it contains bones. Uh, the bone boxes are a certain size. Uh, we know why they're a certain size, because your, your, your longest human bone has to fit in those boxes, your femur. So all the bone boxes are like a little chest, uh, big enough to hold the femur bone and your other bones. Um, you see them literally laying around places in Israel. Um, we've got the ossuary for Caiaphas, you know, the high priest that condemned Jesus, uh, who was a big deal in his day. We've got Caiaphas' ossuary. So they used bone boxes to bury. Now let me tell you what that means. To understand what Jesus is saying to this person who doesn't want to come with him right now because he wants to bury his, his father, bury the dead. What, the way they buried in first century Judaism is this, and you know this from Easter. The person dies... You go and lay that person out in a usually family tomb. Or if you're Jesus, uh, a borrowed tomb of the rich man Joseph of Arimathea. But you go lay that body out in a family tomb. Uh, you know, they didn't have time to anoint the body of Jesus, so they come back uh, after Sabbath, at the beginning of Sunday. They come back to anoint the body of Jesus because they didn't have time to do that um, after the crucifixion. But you just lay the body out. If you walk in first century tombs, you can do that all over Israel. If you lay the body out, it's like a stone bed that the body's laid on. And the body's anointed because that body's going to be decaying. And again, it's a family tomb. You'll be back in that tomb. Think about the stone being rolled away and all that stuff. You'll be back in that tomb to um, bury other people, to lay, to lay other loved ones. Uh, and sometimes in the first century, and even Christians kept doing this in the catacombs, You'd go back there to have homecoming lunch with your deceased. And uh, you, you'd have a little opening area, just like you see today in first century tombs, a little like Narthex entrance hall where you have these areas where you can lay bodies all around you. And they would go to visit those. So that's why you anoint the bodies. You lay the bodies out, you anoint them, 
because of the smell of decomposing human flesh. You, you, you lay them in, in, in their tomb. And that's what's going on with Jesus, remember? But here's the part you probably don't know about. The reason they did that was they would let the body there decay until there's absolutely nothing left but bones. Then they would take the bones and put the bones in the bone box. When the Hebrew Bible talks about at death being gathered to your ancestors, they aren't being, they're, not, they're not talking about being buried in Oakwood Cemetery. They're to talking about being put in the bone box where some of their ancestors are. So the body would lay there for a year or better until there was nothing but bones left. And then you would take those bones and you'd put them in a bone box. And that's where the final interment, until you added some other family members' bones in that box, that would be the final interment. So, now, knowing that, I mean, we kind of, we don't even do this now, but when I first went to ministry, when the death occurred, we usually did a funeral within three days. Now everybody waits to Saturday, which makes my life real complicated on a lot of different levels. I, first time, I mean, I'm doing funerals and weddings on the same day now. Everybody waits to Saturday. But when I went in the ministry, somebody would die, and usually within three days. A funeral occurred, everything was over. Uh, burial customs change. So, this person who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, well, come on. And the guy says, um, um, but, but not right now. Um, my father's dead. He's buried in the family tomb. And in a year or so, I'm going to gather his bones and put them in an ossuary. So let, let's talk. I'll get back to you, Jesus. After that time period. See how different that is? He's not looking at somebody who's got a three-day period to follow, to bury their father, saying, let the dead bury the dead. This guy's got a year or better to wait for his father to decompose before the bones go to the bone box. So what Jesus is saying there is not harsh. He's not, he's not attacking the Ten Commandments. He's not saying dishonor your parents. We Christians, like the Jewish community, we see the care of the dead as an act of piety, as an act of mercy. Now, we're losing a little bit of that in the modern world, but that's why we have a columbarium. That's why churches had cemeteries. That's why we have these rituals that surround burial. We have always said that the burial, the care of the dead, the burial of the dead, the care of the dead is an act of piety. Um, in the Jewish world today, uh, they bury quickly because they don't, they don't um, embalm. They bury quickly. But then you sit Shiva for seven days. Shiva means seven. You sit Shiva for seven days, which means family gathers there in the home and they, they stay together for seven days. By the way, that is why on the fourth day after Lazarus' death, they're still together. They're Jewish. They're keeping those seven days. Uh, but you bury the body quickly today. Um, but we've always seen the care of the dead, the burial of the dead is an act of piety. Uh, if you read one of the best places to see that from a Christian perspective, you know, again, there were some books written between the Old Testament and New Testament. One of those books that was written between the Old Testament and New Testament is the book of Tobit. It's a fascinating story. And it is a narrative. It's a story. That's where we get the names of the archangels from. But in the book of Tobit, you'll see how, how, how much an act of piety, caring for the dead, is. So Jesus is not going to... He's Jewish. He's not going to say, violate Ten Commandments, don't honor your parents. 
uh, don't care for the dead. He's, if you think he's saying that in this text, you need to look at the text more closely. But if you understand Jewish burial practices, you hear the hollow excuse of the person who says, well, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you, but I, you know, I've got this family obligation about a year from now that, that, I, that I need to take care of. That's why it's an excuse that Jesus doesn't accept. Um, yeah, burial practices change. Let me show you one more like that that's fun because um, this one just drives Gentiles crazy. Look at, look at Luke chapter 14. I mean, people can't believe Jesus said this or they ignore that Jesus said this. But again, Jesus is Jewish. So he means it in a certain way. If you look at Luke chapter 14, let's start at verse 25. And again, it's, it's, it's in the same type section where he's talking about following him. He's talking about the cost of discipleship. Look at verse 25. Now, uh, chapter 14, Luke. Uh, we are going to John eventually, but these are just two fun texts to show you how we can mess up New Testament by not paying attention to the Jewish background. Look at verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. When's the last time you heard a sermon preached on that from Jesus? You know, we look at that and we're like, Jesus, we don't understand. We'll just ignore this part of what you say. When he says, you know, if you want to come to him, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So, you know enough about Jesus to know that he's not talking about hate in the sense that you usually use the word hate. I hope. You know, he's not saying if you're going to become Christian, you've got to hate your whole family in the way you take the word hate. Um, the Hebrew word behind the Greek word here, New Testament's written in Greek. We know that some of the New Testament documents, probably Matthew, we know that some of the New Testament documents were Hebrew first, then written in Greek. Greek was the worldwide language. Hebrew was the language of the people there in, 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 in Judea, in Samaria, and Galilee. Um, so when there's, sometimes when you had to take a Greek word and put it down, sometimes they, every language is not alike. You know how like Greek has three, has four words for love. Well, we just have one word for love, and that is so sad. That's why you can say you love hot dogs, you love your wife, and you love God. That's screwy. Um, but Greek has four words for love. Well, Hebrew has more words for hate, sort of, than just the word hate. The Hebrew word here is sane. And what sane, let me, let me tell you what it means. I'll show you why we know this. What sane means, which would be the Hebrew behind this Greek word, the estranged lady, what sane means is this. Love less. Not so much hate as when we think hate, we think hate crimes, we think hurting people. Uh, sane just carries with it, usually carries with it the impression of just loving less. Now, the reason we know this is because we've got the Hebrew Bible. Three-quarters of your Bible are Old Testament. And it's worth reading. That's why we kept it when the Christian church got going. We didn't do away with it. Uh, but when you look at the word uh, sane in the Hebrew Bible, it's used in places such as 
Well, you can write this down. I won't make you find it because I'll be finished by the time you find Malachi. But in Malachi 1.3, you'll see that it says, and this picked up several times, you'll see that it says that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Okay. God loved Jacob and hated Esau. God loved Jacob and he sonnayed Esau. Um, If you go back to the Hebrew Bible, Genesis chapter 33, you will see that Esau, whom God hated, sonnayed, God blessed with great wealth, blessed with great family. When you look at how God hated Esau, I'd like a little bit of that hate in my life. Um, So obviously when you're looking at what it means for the Hebrew Bible to say God loved Jacob and hated Esau, God sonnayed Esau, you see in Genesis 33 that when you see see Jacob and Esau meeting each other, you may remember the story when Jacob and Esau meet each other after their long estrangement, um, and Jacob's remorseful, and Jacob is repentant, and Jacob wants to give a bunch of his wealth to Esau, Esau says, I don't need your wealth. God has blessed me beyond measure. So we know that God blessed Esau in a remarkable way. In the second chapter of Deuteronomy, when the children of Israel are wandering um, on the way to the land of promise, the children of Israel are told not to go in, don't bother the people of Seir, which is modern-day Jordan, which, and you're told in the book of Deuteronomy, that's Esau's people. That's where Esau went. So in the book of Deuteronomy, the children of Israel are told, don't, don't, don't mess. I mean, you, you know, you remember the story. There's some people they really messed with on their way to take the land of promise. But God told them, don't mess with Esau's descendants uh, when you're on your way to the land of promise. Um, because, and it's clear there in Deuteronomy 2, it's, they, they were a blessed people. God had blessed them in so many ways. So again, if, if you're going to define hate the way the Hebrew Bible defines hate, the way God hated Esau, yeah, we could always use a little bit of that hate. I mean, God just treated Esau so well and did so much for Esau. So obviously when, when that Hebraic word tries to get translated into Greek or tries to get translated into English, um, there's a problem. But, you know, if, if we could translate it something like loved less. I mean, obviously God still loved Esau. He loved Jacob more. Jacob was the son of the covenant. You remember from the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament. Jacob was the son of the covenant. The promise went through Jacob. The, the chosen line went through Jacob. So there was a sense in which Jacob was preferenced, certainly, in the Hebrew Bible. And Esau, not so much. Uh, So when the Bible, and even Paul quotes this, by the way, in the book of Romans, when the Bible says God loved Jacob and hated Esau, you can't use the word hate there like the word we hate, the way we use the word hate. So when Jesus is saying this, the only thing he's saying, and usually when I hear Christians preach this, they sort of get this right. Um, I don't know that they know why they're getting it right. Uh, but they sort of get this right. What Jesus is saying is if, you, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you've got to lo- love Christ more than you love your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. You've got to love Christ more than you even love your own life. Christ has to be preeminent. 
But um, like St. Augustine taught us, and I mentioned it Sunday from the pulpit because I'm a big fan of St. Augustine, the spiritual life is tremendously based on making sure we rightly order our loves. We can have our first love, our second love, our third love, our 46th love. You know, that may be where you put the hot dogs down there at number 46. But we need to rightly order our loves. So um, we know that. We know that. That's all that Jesus is saying here. He's got to be preeminent. If you put the worst thing you can do for your family is put your love for them above your love for Jesus Christ. The best thing you can do for your family is make Jesus Christ first in your life. So that's all Jesus is saying here. When he, when he uses the word hate, we, it's like nails on a chalkboard to us because of some of the impoverishment of our language. But um, Jesus' first century environment knew what he was saying. And that's why they didn't come back with sayings something to Jesus like, Jesus, have you not? Again, have you not read the Ten Commandments, Jesus? Honor your father and mother. Jesus, don't you know that we are pro-family in the Jewish faith? Well, obviously, he, he's, he's in agreement with all that. He's a Jewish Messiah. Uh, so the text has to mean something a little different than what we mean with the word hate. So that's just two fun places that show you if you don't have some understanding of the, the background of the Hebrew Bible, the, the Hebraic background of Jesus, uh, you're, going, you're going to have some difficulty with some of Jesus' sayings. Uh, these are two obvious places. Uh, most of what we see in the New Testament are places where the meaning just opens up in tremendous ways uh, when we pay attention to the Jewish background. So, questions or comments? I've got one minute. So talk fast if I'm not in a hurry. Yes. Yes. Well, Jews are about as diverse as Christians, so you have to be careful when you say Jews and Christians. Her question was to present day Jews still do the seven day sitting Shiva buried before Sunday. Most of the time, yes. Um, you know, you got a spectrum from Hasidic, Orthodox, conservative, reform, reconstructionist. But even the reformed Jews have gotten more conservative about some of those backgrounds. And uh, most Jews very quickly. Most Jews have those. I mean, think about it. We we have the we sort of have the custom of keeping Shiva. We don't pay. It's not strictly seven days, and we usually take a casserole and go do it. But it's sort of there for us. But in the Jewish faith, they still sit sit Shiva, and they still bury quickly. I remember as Rabbi, the one that used to be here in in, um, in High Point a long time ago when I was here, he he pointed out to me the graveside. Because they're, they're very natural. You know, death is death. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's why they don't embalm. Uh, that's why they get you into the grave quickly. But he's the one that pointed out to me at a graveside one time. He, he, they don't even let the cemetery people cover the upturned dirt with a green piece of fake grass or whatever it is. Because they want you to see the dirt. It's death. You know, we don't try to hide death. Um, and and you, you anyway, but yes, most of them do. Part of what's happened in the last 50 years is uh, there's been a, you know, Jews have revivals like Christians do. And in Judaism, there's been a revival of more orthodox behavior. 
in the last 50 years, especially in the state of Israel, but even the United States. There is now a Chabad community in Charlotte, which is very orthodox. Uh, you probably, I've told you this is Sukkot, which means what you do during Sukkot for seven days to remember the wilderness wanderings, to remember how God took care of us during the wilderness wanderings. You build a three-sided temporary structure uh, outside. Uh, you need to be able to see the stars through the roofs. A lot of times they'll put palm branches on the top. So that's a sukkah. That's a sukkah. That's why sukkah, plural sukkah. That's the outdoor tabernacle or booth. Um, you can now, even in Charlotte, you'll see some sukkahs because of the Orthodox community. Now, if you go to Israel, right now Israel is covered in sukkahs on rooftops, on balconies. Uh, go to where my son used to live in Crown Heights, New Crown Heights, Brooklyn. There are sukkahs all over the place because there's a strong Orthodox community. So um, I, I was talking to one of my rabbi friends. He actually, I probably shouldn't tell you this, he actually was Christian. I took him to the Holy Land. To make a long story short, he's a Jewish rabbi now. He got excited about all that stuff. But he told me this week he is, he is, he is moving into the sukkah for the first time since 2016. But um, they, they'll take their meals outdoor in the sukkah. Uh, if you have kids, because it's fun, uh, you can like spend the night out there, um, kind of like camping out. Uh, but m those, some of those orthodox practices, which used to only be the purview of the very orthodox Jews, more, more run-of-the-mill Jews are picking up on some of that stuff. So, well, thank you. Make sure you know everybody in the room. Yes, Janice. Uh, you assume Jews are not pre-made, you assume right. Now, in the Reformed or Reconstructionist movement, they can't be. Again, there's, you go all the way from Habad, Orthodox, Hasidic, to Reconstructionist, Reformed Jews, particularly in the United States. So Reformed and Reconstructionist, that's the furthest left. They would pre-made. But yeah, Greek Orthodox Christians don't pre-made. Jews, on most of their spectrum, do not pre-made. It's just a quick, simple burial. No, no embalming, nothing like that. Um, yeah. Well, this is fun. We're going to have a year of doing this kind of stuff. And you're going to hopefully get to know your Hebrew Messiah a little better. Make sure you know the people in the room you don't know. Go in peace.